Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Man, I tell you what, if you haven't seen this movie, you need to. Uh, it's been out for a couple of years now, and uh, I'm excited to be able to use it today as a part of our At The Movies series. So thank you for being here uh, in person, as well as thank you for joining us online as well. Uh, this At The Movies series is something that we have done for years now. Each and every summer, it's been just an awesome time to be able to use movies to, to find a theme. Maybe it's just the current movies that are coming out and debuting. Uh, but this year's theme is called Movies With A Message. And uh, it's been a great several weeks. We're in week five of this uh, at the movie series. And the movie that I get to use today, I'm super excited about called Hidden Figures. Uh, This movie was released in 2016. And uh, just a reminder, as we go into this, we don't preach from the movie. Like we're not, I'm not taking that movie. Okay, let's talk about preach the movie. We take a theme or an idea from the movie and we use that as a hook to talk about spiritual truth. And so uh, this movie, Hidden Figures, again, released in 2016, had a star-studded cast, as you can see. Just a few of the people, Taraji P. Henson, Octavia Spencer, Janelle Monet, Kirsten Dunst, uh, Jim Parsons, and Kevin Costner. Uh, It actually received three Oscar nominations, including Best Picture. And in case you haven't seen it, let me tell you where you can watch Right now, if you have Disney Plus, it's on there for free. Uh, if you've got Amazon or Amazon Prime, I think you can rent it for right now for a couple dollars. It is worth it. It is an amazing movie. Uh, but just to kind of rehash a little bit of the trailer and what you saw here as we begin today. As the United States raced against Russia in the early 1960s to put a man into space, NASA found some untapped talent in a group of African-American female mathematicians that served as the brains behind one of the greatest operations in U.S. history. Based on the unbelievably true life stories of three of these women, known as human computers, uh, we we follow these women as they quickly rose through the ranks of NASA alongside many of history's greatest minds, specifically tasked with calculating the momentous launch of astronaut John Glenn into orbit and then guaranteeing his safe return. Very important part of that, right? Dorothy Vaughn, Mary Jackson, and Catherine Goebbels Johnson crossed all gender, race, professional lines, while their brilliance and desire to dream big beyond anything ever accomplished before by the human race firmly cemented them in U.S. history as true American heroes. There were so many ways that I could have gone with this message, so many different ideas and themes, things like racism, sexism, pride, envy, Maybe even going more like glorifying God in the workplace or even passion for the gaining of knowledge and using that knowledge. Maybe the idea of loving and serving others, especially those that maybe don't think like you, don't act like you, don't look like you. But today, I decided to focus on a theme that I see throughout the entire movie that all of these other things fall under, and that's this amidst all of the distractions in life, how can I focus on what is above me? The goal of NASA and these ladies was to get John Glenn into space and to return him safely. And the distractions of racism, sexism, pride, and envy could have prevented this from happening, but these ladies pushed beyond the distractions to fulfill their calling and their passion. And while doing so, they actually transformed these other areas in their lives and in the lives of those who they worked alongside. A great movie. A movie that I think all of us need to see because when you think about what they were going through and their experience, This really could have prevented them from focusing on the main goal, the main task or the mission that they had been uh, tasked with accomplishing and doing. And so I wanna kind of get you to think in the same way that I had been thinking from this movie, but also thinking in the spiritual side. 
And that's this. Imagine never experiencing the ultimate prize because you are too concerned with the distractions that are going on around you. Think about that. Maybe uh, imagine this, if you've ever, maybe you have, but if you would ever get the chance to, to go to see Mount Everest. Imagine going to Mount Everest, flying over the race, taking all this money, saving up, doing all this, getting to Mount Everest, going to Mount Everest, getting to the bottom, and then just sitting at the bottom of Mount Everest and camping out. And never maybe even looking up to the peak. You're like, man, look at the trees. Like the views are so awesome. Look at these rocks. Like look at these hippies and their, you know, their, uh, you know, their aroma that there's this, of this whatever's going on around there. Like, and you get so focused with all those things that you never look up and be like, oh, that's the plan to go after Mount Everest. Like that's the, that's the goal is to go at the peak and to get up there. Our world is so focused on the immediate surroundings and the short-term view and all of these things right here and now on this earth that we forget to look to God and what is permanent and what is eternal. And we get so focused and consumed with the temporary. And I think about this. And I think about this idea that, man, the world is telling us that everything around us is so much more important than anything God has to offer. And that's called worldly wisdom. And worldly wisdom is saturating the faith community and it's connecting biblical truth, or excuse me, and counteracting biblical truth in the world, both in today's world, but also in the book of James that we're gonna look at today in James 4. You see, the book of James shows us this, is, this disorder and the evil that is the result of this kind of worldliness. So if you got your Bible, if you wanna look on your outline, uh, we're gonna look at James 4. And I want us to read the, the first five verses here together. verse one says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity? Enmity means hostility. With God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that He has made to dwell in us? Now, Looking at these verses, we can see that friendship with the world is something that we should be fighting against, that we should be going against. Friendship is a serious word used here to describe close intimacy with someone or something. Friendship with the world ultimately causes conflict with others, within ourselves, and with God. And so we need to really, and we need to passionately resist friendship with the world. This idea of friendship with the world is this term, worldliness, being friends with the world. We will lose sight of our primary goal, our primary focus, if we get so distracted by what is going on around us, what everyone else is doing, get caught up in our own situations and circumstances, that we forget What is the goal? Who is the goal? The focus, and it's God. Which leads me to ask this question that you'll see on your outline. How does the world around me distract me from the God above me? How does the world around me distract me from the God above me? One of those ways, letter A, through the sinful desires of our flesh. Through the sinful desires of our flesh. Now in this movie, Dorothy Vaughn, the kind of the main character, Taraji P. Henson's character, faced racism from others. She also faced a lot of inner demons and things that she was struggling with in her own personal life as well. But she also faced pride from those who considered her unworthy and jealousy from those who were really just selfish in their own desires and, and, and goals to you know, succeed and to be promoted in the workplace. The selfish desires of others could have distracted her from the main goal. 
James, in this book that we're looking at today in this passage of scripture, is talking about these kinds of desires that battle within each one of us. Think about it. Sometimes it's about our own circumstances and our own selfish ideas. And sometimes it's about other people's, uh, their ideas that obstruct our view and maybe even obstruct our faith in God. What we need to realize is that we are all sinful people. We all have problems and issues and we can't let the slip ups of others keep us from experiencing God who forgives us in spite of our sinfulness. We don't wanna let everybody else have that much of an effect on us and our relationship with God. Let's not turn away from God because other people who have connections with God have sin and struggle in their life. We can't get so focused on these things. Because as sinners, we all want selfish gain. We all want things of this world. And we all want that which we think is best for us. Long story short, we've got issues, right? Our, our issues have issues. We've got sin and fleshly desires in problems in, in, our, in our own life that are going to prevent us and obstruct our view of God. I've got my moments too that obstruct me from God. My driving, and I get upset, and I get angry, and I don't look like Jesus one bit. When I, when I get angry with my kids, it, it's not very God-glorifying. When, you know, I have all these, these other things that, that I do, I think about uh, maybe watching something that I shouldn't be watching, listening to something that I shouldn't be watching. Let me just tell you, I know way more 90s rap lyrics than I do Bible verses, and I'm ashamed of that, okay? Like, <clears throat> I know a whole lot more of those than I do Bible verses, and that's not good. I would love to replace all of those with Scripture. I'm working on it, but it's taking a very long time. But I've got sin in my life, got conflict. All conflict comes from the desires in us that are motivated by craving earthly pleasure. You see, when my craving clashes with your craving, there's a conflict. When, when my desire is more important than the desires of others, there's conflict. We need to realize that hostility toward one another is really evidence of hostility toward God. To to think about it in this way, that our, our horizontal relationships will display and will reflect our vertical relationship with God. How we treat other people, how we interact with others directly shows and demonstrates and displays the relationship that we have, the vertical relationship that we have with God. James is saying right here that we go to God uh, to gain more of this world for ourselves typically. Think about your own prayer life. Our prayers are often too self-centered. What if every prayer you had ever asked was actually answered as you prayed it? Think about that. In the last week, the prayers that you have prayed, if God said, I'm gonna accomplish and everything exactly as you asked for it and exactly as you prayed for it, how many other people's lives would be better and how would this world be better because of what you prayed? Maybe your life would be better. Maybe you would have things that you would, you know, uh, would have wanted and they would have come true and, and you would get to experience and all that. But how about the rest of the world? How about others? How about those sitting right here next to you? Think about it in that way. You see, Jesus taught us to pray, as we know, Father, hallowed be your name. The idea of hallowed, meaning revered or respected, the name of God is to be in that way. We need to seek what is best for the sake of God's name, not for our own, not for our own desire. We should want his will to be done, not our will to be done. Sinful desires of worldliness says things like, my will be done and my name be great. That's the idea of the sinful desires of our flesh. But also letter B, another way that we uh, are distracted is through sinful, or excuse me, through spiritual betrayal against God. Through spiritual betrayal against God. In verse four, James calls us adulterers because our relationship with God is like a marriage and when his people forsake him in sin, it's like adultery. It's a spiritual picture of spiritual unfaithfulness or adultery that is taking place. Essentially, we are cheating on God. We're like the, all the boyfriends of Taylor Swift, right? Like just cheating on and cheating and cheating. We just hope God doesn't write a song about us, right? 
But you think about the idea of adultery and the fact that we are cheating on God. We are betraying him spiritually because we're constantly walking away. The more conformed to the pattern of this world that we are, living like this world, loving like this world, the more we betray God and the more we cheat on him. We commit adultery. Now, there were several characters in this movie who were so worried about their own selfish desires of success and status that they tried to eliminate or obstruct anyone who was getting in the way. Anyone. In our world, we will cheat on God by seeking after the pleasures of this world through things like sexual immorality, impurity, wickedness, laziness, excuse me, gosh, laziness and selfishness. We'll seek out these things and we will cheat on God. We've satisfied our flesh with the things of this world for too long. We've lived for what is best for us in this world, which leads us to uh, astray. And we've run around on God and we now need to repent and to return to him. Think about that. Verse five says that he yearns jealously over the spirit that dwells in us. God jealously longs for the spirit that he made to live in us because our God is jealous for us. And that's good news for us. As a husband, I am jealous for the affections of my wife. And if anyone or anything comes in between that or tries to harm that, there's gonna be opposition. I'm gonna fight. I'm gonna go Mike Tyson on him or whatever. Like I am gonna fight because I am jealous for the affections of my wife. She is my wife. And I'm gonna go after that. I am gonna fight that. And God is jealous for your affection. He wants your love. God is infinitely jealous for his people and he will oppose with divine force anything or anybody who threatens their good. That's good news, right? Like he desires the affections of your heart as a follower of Christ. He wants you. He wants you and he wants that relationship with you. And he has this jealousy. Now it is a secure jealousy that seeks what is best for you by guarding your heart from adulterous pursuits of yours and of others that are maybe trying to you know, engage or to bring you away from him. He's gonna fight for you. He tells us to run from the things of this world and to cling to him in order to find all that we need. The problem is this. Many of us treat God more like a life preserver for when things go wrong than his life support to keep us alive daily. Man, God, everything's going wrong. Oh God, can you help save me? Can you help get me out of this? Instead of it's like every day, God, I need you to stay alive to continue on, to push on and to press on. We need to have that attitude with God. It cannot be something that we just call on God when things go bad. God, I'm drowning, please save me. No, it's God, I am getting up out of bed and trying to live. Please be with me and walk with me each and every moment of today. That needs to be the attitude that we have. Instead of running to friendship and intimacy with this world, we need to run to friendship with God. This kind of friendship is not from sinful desires of the flesh, but rather it comes from the gracious desire of God. Let's read on in James 4, verse six. It says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. It is possible for us to look at these truths right here in these verses and commands and feel that this is all far too difficult for us to accomplish. But God is gracious, he is merciful, he is loving, and he supplies all that we need to obey. Our obedient actions are a direct revelation of our connection to God. 
And simply put, how you act shows how you think about God. How you act and how you walk and live your life shows what you really think about him. So let's ask this other question today. How can I focus my life on the God above me? How can I focus my life on the God above me? You see, we need to realize that intimacy with God not only comes from the gracious desire of God, but it is also motivated, motivated by our longing for eternal satisfaction. Intimacy with God acknowledges this, that if we seek friendship with the world now, we will experience opposition from God in eternity. We're choosing the, the, the temporary convenience over the eternal reward. And we need to have a change of direction. We need to have a change of thought and understanding as a part of this. So intimacy with God results in submission to the authority of God. The closer we grow to God, God, we will begin to submit to his authority because our understanding of his lordship will increase in our life. So God, the intimacy that we have with him results in submission to his authority. It's this idea of we need to focus our attention towards God because he is Lord our, our, our focus needs to be on that to say, like, God, you are our Lord. And, you know, we're so easy and so quick to say, Lord and Savior, this term we've heard, you know, I've, I've trusted in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. The problem is many of us are real quick to trust in Jesus as Savior. God, save me out of the pits of hell. Save me into the gates of heaven. Save me from my sin. But we really struggle with the idea of Lord. We don't want it necessarily to be Lord of everything in our life, of everything and task and choice that we make, but that's the attitude that we need to have, to surrender all that we are to him so that he can be the Lord of our life as well. So if we want to focus our life on God, here's some things that we ought to do. Number, number, letter, letter A, resist the devil forcefully. Resist the devil forcefully. You see, James wants us to stop resisting God and start resisting the devil. Now, it is baffling that ever since Adam and Eve to the lives of us right here in 2023, that each of us continues to believe the lies of the devil. We have seen it. We have read the stories from years past and generations past. We have seen it in our own lives of the devil leading us astray constantly and we still give in and we still believe the lies that he is spitting out. Why do we do that? You see, this is the essence of sin. The essence of sin is trusting the devil while distrusting God. That's what it is. Sin is believing the lies of the devil that he says that we need something or some person all the while disbelieving God who says, you need me. You need me. That's what the, the, the fight here is. That's what the battle is, is that we are distrusting God, disbelieving God, and we are putting our faith in the devil so many times in our life. That we have this temptation like in, in this sin, in this worldliness that we, oh, well, it's, it's just, I, I see it. It's tangible. It's right here in front of me. Well, the problem is it's temporary. It's a short-sighted view. If we would have an eternal view, an upward view, we would look to God and think, what are the eternal things that I need to focus on in my life? We ought to resist him, the devil. First Peter 5.8. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. What we're seeing here is saying, be on the lookout, right? Like, be watchful. Our opposition, our enemy is lurking, and he is encircling us like a lion does to its prey and looking to destroy us. That's what the devil is using. He's using these temptations and these sins all the while to pull us further and further away from God so that he can destroy us. He's waiting for that moment. Whatever power or influence the devil may have, your life in Christ is far greater. 
It's far greater. Whatever devil power influence that he has and he continues to use towards you and influence you, your life in Christ is far greater and far better and bigger than anything the devil has to offer. When you're tempted to speak selfishly, resist the devil's tempting. When you're tempted to go to that internet site and watch something that you know is going to tempt you and make you sin, resist his seduction. When you're tempted to anger, doubt, pride, worry, resist him. It says, resist the devil and he will flee. And we need God's help with that. That comes back to that idea of entrusting him each and every day of our lives. But the next thing we can do, letter B, seek God repentantly. Seek God repentantly. To go after him, to pursue after him with an idea or a mindset of repentance. Seek after him repentantly. Have you ever, uh, those of you that are married, have you ever wronged your spouse and had to like go back and confess your mistake and ask for forgiveness? I've never had to do this. I've just heard about other people who've done this. I really wish that was true, right? <laughs> like, but you know what I'm, that moment you're like walking, you're like, uh, you know, like I did this, I'm sorry. Like you begin to confess. And it's this idea of, of you've gone one way and you realize I am wrong and you've had to turn back towards them and walk to them and say, I, am, I was wrong, I, I, I'm repenting. It's changing directions. That's what repentance is. This call for repentance in our life is to change course, to change direction. We're pursuing after the things of the devil and walking after the things that he tells us are important. And we're saying, no, this is wrong. I'm gonna turn the other way and pursue and walk after God to seek after him with a repentant heart and a repentant spirit in my own life. James tells us to draw near to God, which implies that we have all already turned away from him. We have, because we are all sinners separated from God. We all need to repent. This is a call to repent of our sin and to return to our gracious Lord. That's the calling that we have. Zechariah 1.3 says, Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of, the host, of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do you get that? That he is already looking at us and awaiting our turn back towards him. He's saying, Look to me, return to me, and I am returning to you. He is coming after us. We need to simply turn and to look towards him and to come together in this supernatural collision of an encounter with the gracious God that loves you, that knows everything about you, your sin, your struggle, your joys the things that you love. But the problem is one unrepentant sin severely obstructs our relationship with God. So my question for you in this one today, what sin in your life right now do you need to repent of? Maybe it's going to God and asking forgiveness, but also maybe it's going to someone and asking forgiveness. You know, in the movie, in the Hidden Figures movie, there's a couple moments of repentance where people acknowledging that they were wrong and they turn back. We need to have that attitude when it comes to our relationship with God, to repent and to turn back towards him. Which leads me to uh, letter C, pursue purity fully. Pursue purity fully, to go after things that are pure, holiness, to live a life like Christ, to pursue after that kind of a thing, not this sinful world that's going on around us, not the temptations that the devil's throwing our way, but to pursue after purity, to be more like Christ. And this may be when it comes to things like sexual purity, it may become something for you, maybe it's in your, the ways that you deal or have business dealings, things that you do in your career. Are you doing that with purity, with a pure mind and a pure heart? That you're not maybe doing things that uh, are immoral or illegal or whatever it may be? Maybe also when it comes to the idea of your personal desires and the way that you treat other people and the way that you live your life, maybe even when nobody else is around. 
We need to stop asking, how far can I go before this is a sin? And we need to start asking, what can I do to stay far away from it and pursue holiness in my life? We have got to quit tiptoeing up to the line of sin, sin, saying like, I'm right here, like, but I'm not sinning, but I, I mean, I'm right, I'm close, but I'm not, it's okay. Why do we want that attitude when we want the attitude of like, let's just stay away from it? It's because the, the, the temptation or the moment that takes us to go across that line is a very small thing, one small moment. Or maybe after several times of that, it's that next one, it's just the tip of the iceberg to push us beyond the line. Let's stay away from it. Purity is both internal and it is external. James right here says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Isaiah 1.16 says this, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil. Think about that. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, and cease to do evil. Your part in your pursuit of purity is to replace sin with holiness, to replace sin and temptations with the things of God. God's part is to renew your mind, to save and to sanctify you through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. God wants us to purify our hearts, our minds, our desires, our, our, our motives, and really down into the core of our being, our heart, soul, mind, and strength. By God's grace, we are able to be clean inside and outside. Maybe that's the attitude that we need to have, to be clean. Which leads me to letter D, treat sin seriously. We need to treat sin seriously. It's something that uh, those who live in friendship with the world really don't see sin as a big deal, right? Like if, if, I don't, if, if somebody is not a, a Christian, not a Christ follower, when they sin, it's just kind of like, eh, not a big deal. But as a Christ follower, when we sin, it, it should hurt, it should bother us. But James tells us right here, he's, he's like, don't be trivial with sin. Like it, it needs to be taken seriously. Too many of us are, are playing games with sin and sin will win every time. Pastor, author uh, from a long time ago named John Owen says that we should be killing sin or sin will be killing you. We need to daily be killing off sin, removing sin from our life, kill it off because otherwise sin will kill us. Sin will take us down. We should grieve over our sin. There should be a mourning and a flooding of tears over the sin that is in our life. And when we, should sin, when we sin, it should cut us. It should hurt us deeply. It should really affect us. It, it, it should really just, I mean, just impact us in a way. This is the way that we need to see sin. Because if you sin and it does not bother you, you might not be a Christian. If you sin and it does not affect you, you might not be a Christ follower. But if you sin as a Christian and it bothers you, in a way, there's, that's a good thing because it means that the Holy Spirit is working in you to convict you of that sin. So have that mindset, have that idea that I need to treat my sin seriously, otherwise it's gonna take me down. The last one, letter E, to trust God completely. For those of you that are a Christ follower, you have surrendered and submitted your life to Jesus. He is the Lord and Savior of your life. This is something you still need to be doing, to trust God completely in all areas of your life. For those of you that are here and you don't have a relationship with Christ, you've never given or surrendered your life to Jesus, let me tell you this, you can trust in this God completely because he loves you, he knows you, he created you, he knows what is to come, and he has already won the battle. You are to simply surrender your life to him and allow him to work in you. You see, we all come to a point in our lives where we need to decide if we are gonna completely trust in ourselves or in God. 
And we can't have one foot in and one foot out. It can't be 50-50. It's all or it's nothing. We need to surrender everything that we have. Now, God has this resume of, of faithfulness, consistency, and perfection in the way that he leads, in the way that he guides. Some of us made mistakes last night on what we chose to eat for dinner, right? Like we have messed up. We have made mistakes. We have a past that is not perfect. We have a resume that is not foolproof. And I, I know my own life, if I trusted in myself, it would go bad. It would go wrong, completely wrong. So I want to trust in God who has a, a resume of perfection, who has saved me and who has loved me. God will give you the grace in your humility of doing this that he will be the, also be the one that will raise you up. You need to do, not do that on your own. Why? Because Jesus is better. He's better than anything this world has to offer. Tempted to lie and cheat, Jesus is better. You're tempted to, to have, be envious or, or jealous, Jesus is better. You're tempted to, to lust or to look at pornography, Jesus is better. Why should we focus our life on God and his will? Jesus is better. He's better. He's better than anything that this world has to offer. Maybe today, for some of you that are here, you wanna place your trust in God completely through surrendering your life to Jesus, through beginning a relationship with him. And there's great news. Look at this last verse right here on your outline. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It does not say, if you'll notice, it doesn't say you need to be perfect. It doesn't say you gotta know everything about the Bible. It doesn't say you have to have all your questions answered or that you live this amazing, perfect life. But it does say this, belief in your heart that Jesus is who he and the Bible says that he is, brings on justification from your sin. Confession of these truths with your mouth brings on salvation and brings you out of the pits of hell and into the gates of heaven. Your job is to simply recognize your sin, to recognize that you have a need for a savior and then to confess Jesus as Lord and as savior of your life, to repent and to believe. This is how you are saved and this is how you're justified. The question I have for you listening, you know, watching this online, but also sitting right here in this room, have you fully and completely surrendered your life to Jesus? Are you allowing the things in this world to distract you from the God that is above you? That you're thinking the things of this world, the temporary things, the, the honestly, the meaningless things in this world, success and career, you know, money in the bank, all these kinds of things that the world would tell you is success. Are you trusting in those things? You've become a friend of the world, this idea of worldliness. Are you going to leave that, flee from that, repent and turn back towards God who said, just look to me. You just simply need me. If that's you today and you wanna surrender your life to Jesus, let me tell you, it's as simple as this. To confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and Savior and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you wanna do that today, it's as simply as repenting and calling out on his name. There's not some magic prayer, magic words. It's as simply a transition and a change in your heart that happens. And today, no matter where you come from, no matter who you are, you can surrender and submit your life to Jesus. And I hope that you would do that right here this morning. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, this morning, Lord, I wanna pray uh, over this, uh, just this room, uh, everybody that's watching this online as well, God. The Father, that today, we would just continue to look to you the Father right now in this room and watching us online, Lord, I pray that they know that there is a God that loves them. A God that loves them so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for them. 
The Father, today would be the day that they would turn and surrender their life to you. Father, they would repent of the sin and the temptation that's in their life and to turn back towards you. Father, they would get so, quit being so focused and so consumed with the things of this world and start looking to the things that are eternal, the things that you uh, have, have created, the things that you have promised, the, the, the way that you are inviting us into your kingdom of heaven. It all comes through a turn and a change in our heart to repent, to admit that we have sin and that we need a savior and to place our faith and trust in your son Jesus as our savior. Father, I pray that those that are here that have been trying to do it on their own for far too long, God, that today would be the day they would stop and they would surrender everything that they are and everything that they have to you. Father, for those that are here and have done this already and have a relationship with Christ, Father, they are living a life, Father, that they are pursuing after you and seeking after you, God, I pray that they would maintain that that they would persevere, Father, that when they get off track and they fall into temptation and sin, God, that they would revert back and get back on track and to stay with you and to continue to focus on you and what you have for them. Father, that they would run from the devil to resist him. Father, that they would seek after you completely. Father, they would trust in you fully. Father, we are so thankful for who you are. Thankful that we can each have an individual personal relationship with you through your son, Jesus. And the Father, it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.